0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com. Well, good morning again, church. I want to encourage you guys to open up your Bibles to Second Chronicles this morning. It's page 364 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you, it's page 364. <clears throat> So this morning, I felt compelled to take a one-week break from our journey through Isaiah to speak on a topic that's been making waves in the headlines over the last two weeks. Revival. Revival. Now, for those of you who don't know, the reason why revival is such a popular subject right now is because of an event that's been taking place at Asbury University. Asbury University's president, Dr. Kevin Brown, said this. He said, we are experiencing an historic moment at Asbury University. Since our regularly scheduled chapel services on February 8th, there have been countless expressions and demonstrations of radical humility, compassion, confession, consecration, and surrender to God. We are witnessing what Scripture describes as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so through social media, uh, news of this phenomenon quickly spread all over the country and even the world, causing people from all over the world to travel to the campus and witness the extraordinary movement of God for themselves. Even the mainstream media took notice of this movement, which many are now calling the Asbury Revival. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, read the story of any revival that has ever taken place, and you will find that at the beginning of it is always the same. One man, or sometimes a number of people, suddenly become alive to the true Christian life, and others begin to pay attention to them. Now, I'm not necessarily in a position to confirm or deny what's been taking place at Asbury. I haven't been there. However, testimony after testimony has revealed that individual students, along with the student body as a whole, are coming alive to the Christian life. And people are certainly paying attention to it, Which, of course, begs the question, how are we to respond to it? Well, if you ask me, I think we need to respond with optimism and prayer. The Lord appears to be using the events at Asbury to change the lives of countless people. And for that, we should be hopeful and grateful, not overtly critical and judgmental. You know, Shane Pruitt noted the irony behind some of the negative Christian responses uh, to what's happening at Asbury. And there are many. He said, we pray, Lord, send us revival. God says, here you go. And then we say, God, here's my list of concerns and critiques and cautions about it. You see, church, we can't have it both ways. We can't have it both ways. If we're serious about wanting to see a revival among God's people, then we need to be okay with God working in ways that might be a little bit outside of our comfort zones or box of thinking. Now, that being said, I am not saying that we shouldn't question the events at Asbury or any other spiritual movement for that matter. 1 John 1 is clear. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So according to John, we are to practice great discernment concerning the message the means and the marks of a spiritual movement or revival. Most importantly, we're to make sure that the foundation of any spiritual movement is a proper belief concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. Namely, that he is fully God and fully man. And as far as I can tell, Asbury University has a strong confession in faith in regard to Jesus Christ. So whether you're gonna call it a revival or not, it puts him on solid footing nonetheless. So again, I cannot personally speak with boots-on-the-ground authority concerning the events at Asbury, but I will say this. My observation has been, and maybe it's just my observation, but my observation has been that far too often, and this is especially true, I think, in Western culture like America, but far too often, the people of God are quick to explain away a movement of God. Far too often, we're quick to reject a work of the Holy Spirit. I guess the opposite is true. Sometimes we're quick to accept it, too, even though if it's not not a true work of the Spirit. But far too often, we pray, God act, and then when God acts, we reject or we dismiss his actions. Church, all I'm saying, all I'm saying, is at some point, Christians just need to stop and celebrate the good. At some point, just stop and celebrate the good. I don't know about you, but with all the bad news happening in the world right now, I will unapologetically celebrate a 24-7 prayer and worship gathering on a college campus any day of the week. I mean, come on. What are we doing here? That's a win. So all this to say, we may not all agree on how to interpret the events happening at Asbury, but I think we can all agree on this. Local church planter and CSU faculty member, Ken Davis, he wrote this, I asked him permission if I could share it because I think it was great. He said, I don't think we need more opinions, but I do hope we'll all be in prayer about it. Pray that it's a genuine move of God. Pray that as the first movement of its kind in our hyper-connected internet world, the students will be protected from the trolls on one side and the religious opportunists on the other side, both of whom would seek to ruin any true move of God. Pray that the long-term results will bear the marks of true revival, including repentance, salvation, Christian unity, and above all, making much of Jesus to a lost world. The New Testament proof of spirit-filling is bold witnessing for Christ. Let's pray for these. In the meantime, like Gamaliel wisely said to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5, so my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it's from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Amen? Can we agree on that? Now, the purpose of today's message isn't to break down the Asbury revival. Instead, it's to help us better understand the essential elements of a revival. Because sometimes I think when we pray for a revival, we actually don't know what we're praying for. And so this morning, I'd like to define what a revival is how to experience it, both as individuals and as a church. If you're with me, say, preach on, brother. All right, thank you, I appreciate that. (laughs) Before I preach on, let's pray. Father God, as flawed, sinful human beings, we admit that sometimes we look at these big events that happen that seem to be a move of you and we question it. And I guess that's okay. You tell us to question, Lord. But sometimes we just don't know how to interpret things that we see. And sometimes, Lord, we're guilty of not giving you the glory you deserve. Father God, we, we admit that we don't know what you're doing. We never really do. But I pray, Father God, that this morning everything that we're seeing happening at that school is real and a true movement of you. And we pray, Father God, that that, that movement of your Holy Spirit continues to impact the lives of countless people across our nation and even our world. God, we, we just humbly ask that we would see one more great awakening in our midst before you return. Oh, Lord, what a blessing that would be to our souls. Thank you, God, for waking up your people at that school. Wake us up this morning, God. And I ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin by defining what we mean when we say revival. What is a revival? Well, truth be told, there's really no consensus on how to define revival. Merriam-Webster defines the word revive as to return to consciousness, to life, or become active or flourishing again. And so if you put it in a spiritual context, revival can be defined as a spiritual awakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. That's kind of putting it simply. John Piper, uh, as only he can, expands on the definition. He said, in the history of the church, the term revival in its most biblical sense has meant a sovereign work of God in which the whole region of many churches, many Christians, have been lifted out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into a conviction of sin. Earnest desires for more of Christ and his word, boldness and witness, purity in life, lots of conversions, joyful worship, and renewed commitment to missions. You feel as if God has moved here. In his book, Revival That Reforms, Bill Hole said, revival is simply a term that we have given to the special activity of God throughout history. Spiritual revival, the idea, is in the Bible. Being radically transformed by the power of God based on the finished work of the resurrected Christ is in the Bible. Whatever it's called, revived, renewed, refreshed, regenerated, liberated, empowered, filled, raised, or healed, I'm for it. Church, I'm for it too. In fact, all of God's people should be for it because you know what? We need it. We need it. Psalm 85, verses 6 and 7 says, Dave, by the way, thank you for not drinking this water. I appreciate that because I need it. But anyway, Psalm 85, verses 6 and 7 says, Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. You see, there are times in the life of a believer or a group of believers where they become spiritually stale. They have no life or pep in their step when it comes to their faith. Now, the reasons for this spiritual stagnation are many. It could be a lack of awareness of sin, a lack of repentance of sin, a lack of passion for obedience to God and his word, a lack of appreciation for God's holiness, a lack of trust in God's promises, you name it. The list goes on. Nevertheless, I, I think when push comes to shove, the ultimate reason why God's people need a revival is largely due, this is going to hurt, hurt me, it's going to hurt you, it's largely due to a lack of day-to-day submission to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Largely due to a lack of submission to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit's. You see, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer and is our seal, our guarantee of eternal life. And that's a blessing. However, there's a big difference between being indwelled by the Holy Spirit church and being controlled by the Holy Spirit. When we choose our own way instead of God's way, when we choose to be laissez-faire about our faith, when we choose to ignore or not take seriously God's call and commission on our lives, It's like throwing water on the Spirit's fire. And what happens when you throw water on a fire? It burns out, right? And that's why we need a revival. Revival, as we like to call it, is what we need to get the fire burning again. Now, when it comes to revival, we got to remember that it takes two to tango. What do I mean by that? Well, on one hand, we need to pray And we need to rely on God for a revival because it's a supernatural transformation that only he can produce, only his spirit can produce. On the other hand, in asking for it, we also need to be prepared for it. In other words, we need to be willing to make the changes necessary in our own lives to make it happen. I've heard it said that we cannot control when or where the wind of the spirit will blow, but we can hoist up our sails and be ready for when he does. Church, if we want to ready ourselves for a personal or corporate revival, then it must begin with a desire and willingness for the Holy Spirit to take complete control of our lives and move us as he sees fit. As Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel. So what exactly does it look like for Jesus to take the wheel and bring revival to our souls? What does it look like practically? What are some practices that will aid us in submitting to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Well, this morning, I'd like to revisit an Old Testament promise that contains New Testament principles for revival. It was a promise that was given specifically to the people of Israel thousands of years ago, but it contains timeless principles for the church today. And it's a promise that I know many of you know well. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, from time to time, I I like to look up recipes online. Carrie's the primary cook in our house, but every once in a while, I I like to have fun. And uh, for example, not too long ago, I looked up breakfast recipes for a cast iron skillet because my mother-in-law bought me a cast iron skillet and I wanted to learn how to cook on it. And, and once I found a recipe that I liked, I clicked on the picture and it led me to a recipe, recipe blog that was chucked full of pop-up ads and it gave the entire background story behind the recipe. It gave details about how great grandma used to make it and how grandma used to make it and how mama used to make it and so on and so forth. These people have to know, no one cares. No one cares about the background story. We just want the recipe. My goodness. If you're a blogger, by the way, if you're one of those people, if you want to, like, go viral, just have the recipe. No one cares about great-grandma, okay? There's <laughs> my free advice for the day. Church, 2 Chronicles 7.14 provides us with a great recipe for revival. However, Before we break down the recipe, for context purposes, this is one of those instances where it is important to give you a little bit of story behind the recipe. So stay with me. Stay with me. It's important. In Deuteronomy 28, the Lord entered into a covenant agreement with the nation of Israel. This covenant was pretty straightforward. Basically, God promised blessings to his people if they obeyed him and curses to his people if they disobeyed him. Fast forward to 2 Chronicles 7, the period of 2 Chronicles 7. After the dedication of the temple, God appeared to Solomon and reminded him of this covenant agreement. Essentially, that's what God was doing. He was reminded Solomon of this covenant agreement he made way back when. He told Solomon that if Israel disobeyed, he was going to judge them, judge their disobedience by sending droughts and insects and plagues to their nation. However, if they repented, God promised, the Israelites, promised to deliver the Israelites from his judgment and bring healing to their land. So that's the immediate context. It's interesting, if is lowercase, which means it's not. it's connected to what was said beforehand. And so the immediate context is, if Israel disobeys, I'm going to mess up their land, but if they repent, I will heal their land. And so then the question then becomes, does this promise to the nation of Israel apply to Christians today? Will God heal our land? physically or spiritually, if we follow the commands that are in this verse? Well, the short answer is yes and no. Yes and no. You see, on one hand, and we're guilty of this, but on one hand, we cannot westernize this covenant promise. In other words, we cannot blatantly use this verse as a rallying cry for America because the reality remains that God did not make a covenant agreement with America. He made it with Israel. On the other hand, Believers today do enjoy similar blessings to the people of Israel, including the blessing of being called God's people. Look at First Peter 2, 9 and 10. It's on the screen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are what? God's people. Once you, were not, you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so all this to say, while the promise of 2 Chronicles 7.14 was meant for Israel, the principles behind the promise are meant for all of God's people. When the people of God follow the commands of God, it will always result in healing, restoration, and blessing from God. Always. And in some way, shape, or form, it's going to impact the land around us. How could it not? We're not promised... to. To our, our whole land to be healed. But my goodness, if just our church alone got serious about this thing, you think it's going to impact the land around us just a little bit? Of course it is. And so that's why there's probably no verse in all of Scripture that serves as a better recipe for revival than 2 Chronicles 7.14. Because it reflects the unchanging heart of God. And so found within this promise are four timeless, sure-fire ingredients for revival. Let's begin by looking at the first Revival requires a humble spirit. A humble spirit. Look at the beginning of the verse. If my people, again talking to his people, are called by my name, humble themselves. You know, last week, most of you know, some of you don't, last week I had the blessing of spending a family vacation uh, down in Florida. And while we were down there, we rented a van to help us get around And it was one of those fancy types of vans where you have to push the button to start the engine. In other words, you don't have to turn over a key to turn over the engine. You just push that button and it starts. It's a beautiful thing. However, interestingly enough, the key fob still needed to be present in order for the engine to start. If I entered the van without having the key fob nearby, I could push the button, but the engine wouldn't start. You see, having the key present was necessary for the engine to have power. Well, Jim Symbalis said, "Humility is the key to experiencing God's power." Church, if we desire to see a move of God in our hearts and the hearts of His people, if we desire to see a true revival in our lives and the life of the church, then it has to begin with a sincere posture of humility. Without it, we're dead on arrival. Now in this particular context, to humble ourselves, ready for this, is to admit that we're the problem. We're the problem. If you study Israel's history, you'll learn that time and time again, the Israelites found themselves spiritually stagnant because of their own sin. It's not God's fault. And as a result, they were under God's judgment. Thousands of years later, not much has changed. Really, not much has changed. Friends, if we find ourselves in spiritual decline, it's likely because of the sinful decisions that we've made. So simply put, admitting that we're the problem is the first step in resolving the problem. Now, I understand that that might be a tough pill to swallow for some people, but it's the only way to move forward. Harry Ironside said, pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress. If we want to progress in our faith, see God do miraculous work in our lives, then we need to renounce our pride and humbly approach the throne of grace and confess before the Lord that our way is wrong and that his way is right. James 4.6 says, draw near to God. Excuse me, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Some of you have probably seen that bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot, right? Anybody ever see that before? If you have that bumper sticker, you're going to want to take it off by the time I'm done talking about it. But anyway, (laughs) I'm sure that most people who have that bumper sticker are well-intentioned. However, when you get right down to it, it actually represents the type of pride that I think many Christians struggle with today. It conveys this message that you've allowed God part of your life, but you're in control. You're the primary navigator. On the other hand, a humble spirit says, God is my pilot. And I don't even belong in the cockpit. I belong next to the sweaty old man and the crying baby all the way back in coach. Are you tracking with me? That's humility. Church, if we're honest, many of us would admit that we've allowed our own... Selfishness and pride to get in the way of our spiritual progress. We've grown comfortable with giving God a part of our life on Sunday morning, but then we want to do what we want to do Monday through Saturday. All I'm saying is if we desire a true revival in our hearts, we cannot surrender some, we must surrender all. It's like the old hymn says, All to Jesus. I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now. Spirit of humility. This leads us to the second ingredient for revival. Revival requires prayerful dependence. Prayerful dependence. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and what? And what? Okay, just making sure you're paying attention. Three weeks ago, we had a little bit of a scare in our house. It was right before we went on our trip to Florida. I actually needed to rush my wife to the ER because she couldn't swallow. And by God's grace, everything turned out fine. However, in the moment, it was intense and it was frightening. And as I sat helplessly in the waiting room for hours, why does something bad always happen like, in the middle of the night, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's never during the day where there's, like, staff. But anyway, as I sat helplessly in the waiting room for hours, I just continually read and prayed over Psalm 121 to calm my soul. I fervently asked the Lord to take care of my wife, and I reached out to others to do the same. You see, I was put into a position where I had to completely, I mean completely, depend on the Lord to come through. And he did, and I praise God for it. Church, that's the type of posture needed for a revival. We need to put ourselves into a position of complete and total dependency on the Lord, recognizing that without his presence and his power, our efforts are pointless. Jesus said in John 15:5, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Prayer. I would argue that prayer is the primary. I'm not even the primary. Prayer is the posture of dependency in the Christian life. It's the posture of dependency. It is an ever-present reminder that we are always needy and that he is always worthy. As I've shared with you before, Daniel Henderson said prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. I couldn't agree more. The more I'm learning about prayer in my own life, the more I I have to wholeheartedly agree. When prayer is nothing more than an afterthought in the Christian life, when prayer is viewed as more of a burden in a worship service than a blessing, when prayer isn't held in high regard either personally or corporately, we are declaring, God, we don't need you. We could do it on our own. The prophet Jeremiah warns of the foolishness of this thinking. It's on the screen, Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope in confidence, they are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. Church, if revival is going to take place in our hearts, if we're to have a renewed spiritual vigor and produce fruit in our faith, then we must come to the realization that God is our only hope and source of confidence. We must fervently and ceaselessly and passionately call upon the Lord in prayer and trust him with every area of our lives. There just is no other way. Andrew Murray, I like what he said. He said, do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your hearts so that you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Simply put, where there is no dependent prayer, there's no revival. There's no revival. This brings us to the third ingredient Revival requires wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You know, if you've been in the church world for any number of years, then you've inevitably heard someone use the word devotions. Anybody use that word before? I do my devotions. When Christians use the word word devotions, they use it to describe their personal time with the Lord Through Bible reading, worship, and prayer. Now, I'm not really sure when Christians started calling devotions, devotions. But it's actually a really great use of the word. Especially when you consider the command to seek God's face. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. You see, seeking God's face implies having this steadfast commitment or devotion to the Lord. You see, God created us to know him Intimately, He desires that we seek and serve him with all of our being. To quote Daniel Henderson again, he said, to seek God's face today means to set our hearts to seek him in worship with biblical understanding, submitting completely to the control of his spirit with a longing to know and enjoy him more. In other words, we're called to intentionally invest in our relationship with the Lord. You know, church, the root cause of almost any problem within a marriage stems from a lack of communication. And then in time, this lack of communication creates an unhealthy distance between the husband and the wife, and before you know it, all these other problems start coming to the surface, and the marriage is a mess. Well, I think in many ways, the same could be said about our relationship with God. You see, Scripture calls the church, we are called the bride of Christ. And when, when, he as, when we as his bride neglect spending time communicating with God through prayer and allowing him to communicate with us through his word, it's only a matter of time before our relationship is a mess. Am I making sense to you? Does that make sense? I mean, your relationship is only as good as the time you put into it. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So again, if we desire to see a great revival in our midst, it begins with a return, a great return, back to the basics. Back to the basics. Each one of us needs to renew our vows to the Lord in the same way a husband and wife sometimes renew their vows to one another. We need to recommit our relationship with him, making him the number one priority in our lives. Augustine said, God thirsts to be thirsted after. I like that. When we devote ourselves to finding satisfaction in God and God alone, churchy will never leave us wanting. Never leave us wanting. Jesus said in John 4.14, But whoever drinks of the water, I'm going to do that right now, that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Church, the God of the universe invites you and I to experience his intimate, manifest presence. He invites you and I to know and enjoy him on a daily basis. He offers to give you and I everything that we need for life and godliness. And all we need to do is accept the invitation. Like David did in Psalm 27.8. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And this leads us to the last ingredient. Revival requires genuine repentance. Genuine repentance. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. When I was down in Florida, we stayed on a place that was right off of Route 1. And if any of you know anything about Route 1, um, you know that it lives up to its name. It's literally the one and only route to get to and from the keys. There is no other way. And so all throughout the medians uh, are built in areas where you can make a U-turn, which allows you to completely turn around and go the opposite direction. If these opportunities for U-turns weren't built in, You'd be stuck driving down the same road until you crash in the ocean. So U-turns are important. Well, church, God provides you and I with multiple opportunities to make a U-turn when it comes to the direction that we're going in our lives. In his grace, he provides a way for you and me to turn around and get ourselves back on track. And he just keeps providing opportunities, which is amazing. He's so patient and kind to us. In fact, scripture says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The Bible calls this repentance. It's making a U turn. No matter how many times we find ourselves driving down the wrong road, God always provides a way to turn around. One of the verses in scripture that I am so thankful for as a believer is 1 John 1 9. I'm so glad it's there. Thank you, Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, if we desire to see a spiritual awakening in our lives, in the life of the church, then we need to get serious about repentance. We cannot expect God to work in our midst if we're willingly and deliberately driving down the road of sin and don't care. God, move in our midst, but meanwhile, I'm going to move my way. That doesn't work, right? However, when we, one by one, approach God with a humble spirit and prayerful dependence and wholehearted devotion and genuine repentance, we can rest assured that divine transformation will happen. Maybe not exactly in the same way that God had in mind for Israel, but divine transformation nonetheless. The verse ends, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their Land, I will do this so let me close with, with this before we can experience revival on a large scale we need to experience revival on a small, small scale in other words revival, true revival begins with you and me Norman Grubb said this He said, revival in its truest sense is an everyday affair right down within the reach of everyday folk to be experienced each day in our hearts, our homes, our churches, and our fields of service. When revival does burst forth in greater and more public ways, thank God. But meanwhile, we should see to it that we are being ourselves constantly revived persons. You know what church is for, really, when you think about it? Every week you come to get revived or at least you should a lot happens between Monday and Saturday it's nice to have a little fill up in our tanks on Sunday morning is it not so I ask this question are you in need are you in need put all the other stuff aside put Asbury aside put all the big movements aside I love big movements I'm a movement guy oh you know that I like to move but I'll put all that stuff aside are you in need of a revival this morning? Are you in need of forgiveness of sin and healing to your soul? Are you in need of a divine transformation out of spiritual stagnation? If so, then I want to encourage you not to leave this place until you've gotten right with God. Perhaps you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus for salvation. If that's you, then you need a different kind of revival, so to speak. The Bible teaches that your sin separates you from God and that the wages of sin is death, which means eternal separation from God. Yet God, in his great love for you, became a man in Jesus. He died on a cross, taking the punishment of your sins upon himself, and then three days later, he miraculously rose from the dead. And in doing so, he provided a way for you to receive forgiveness for your sins and have eternal life. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, if you want to be forgiven for your sins, be assured of your salvation, then all you must do this morning is just before God, admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and believe in the person and work of Jesus. You can do that right in your seat. You can talk to me afterwards. You can talk to maybe the person that's sitting next to you. Ask them, what do you, what do you mean by that? You can come up here, grab some information packets about what it means uh, to be saved. But maybe you need that kind of revival today. Friends, whatever revival needs to happen in your life today, let it happen and let God be glorified. May your prayers and my prayers echo the words of that treasured hymn. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Amen. I'd like to invite the praise team to come forward. And the prayer team. Prayer team will be up front after the service if you need prayer and Listen if, if you need some sort of revival in your soul remember the first step is humility and so when the music's over and when we're dismissing people if you need, if you just need to stay and come forward and just spend some time in prayer you could pray with somebody from our prayer team who's willing to just pray over you you could just sit up front here and just pray to God do it kind of privately but you got to humble yourself and you got to come and you got to pray So I want to encourage you to do that. Don't worry about it. Everybody's going this way. You'll just come this way and it'll be afterwards. Nobody's even watching you do it. You just come forward if you just need to pray, either with somebody or by yourself, and ask God to bring that revival to your soul. Let me pray over you. We're going to sing one more song and then you'll be dismissed. Lord God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to praise you, God, for the work that you do in our midst. Lord God, we do. We desire to see you move on a grand scale that brings joy to our hearts. But God, in the midst of that desire, help us to never forget that your Holy Spirit lives in us every single day. And we are capable of revival every single day. If we choose to submit to your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Lord, help us to better understand what that looks like day to day. Help us to live as revived souls for your glory as we leave here. God, if there's anyone here that just needs to get right with you, that needs their own personal revival, may they in a humble spirit come, pray, get right with you. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, may they trust Christ today and have their eternity secured. And we'll praise you for it, all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.